Hello and welcome to our online services at Scottsdale Baptist Church. My name is Phil Ortigo and I serve as a senior pastor here. We're so glad that you're able to join us today. Last week we began a new series called God's Gift in a Crisis. And this is a very positive series because we want to look at the kinds of gifts that God gives to us when we are walking through a crisis. And not only as we're walking through it, we want to see the kind of gifts that God gives to us that enables us to make it through a crisis. Now, we've been looking at one verse, and we're going to look at one key verse as we continue to go through this series. That verse is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It is written by the Apostle Paul on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here's what Paul says in that verse. He says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here we see that God has given us a, a gift, and these gifts come in the form of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. The Apostle Paul is writing to young Timothy, who is a protege of his, and Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell. This will be his last letter that he pens, because after this he will be executed um, by Nero because of his faith in Christ. So young Timothy is going to have to step up, and the baton is going to be passed to him. He's going to begin leading the churches, but he's also going to be going through some very difficult times. He's going to be going through persecution and even suffering. So the Apostle Paul writes this, this letter to him, and in this he encourages Timothy that he can make it through any crisis, he can make it through any struggle, that he can make it through any difficulty, because God has given him a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. In other words, he is to operate the way that the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit does not operate in fear. He operates in courage. He doesn't operate in weakness. He operates in power. He doesn't operate in indifference. He operates in love. He doesn't operate with a, with, with a, a, a lack of restraint. He operates with self-control. And so Paul is writing to Timothy and say, listen, no matter what you face, you are to have the spirit of the Holy Spirit in you. You are to act and respond in the way that the spirit of God responds, no matter what you are facing. So last week we began by looking at this and saying the first part that we are to walk in is that we are to walk in courage as the Holy Spirit walks. And last week, we defined biblical courage by this. We said biblical courage is a boldness that replaces the fear of man or circumstances with the confidence of God's presence. Now, courage is not the absence of fear. It's not the absence of danger. It's not the absence of difficulties. Instead, it is the replacement of those things with a sure confidence that God is with us. And last week we saw from an illustration of Scripture with Jesus and his disciples in the boat that how the disciples were fearful and Jesus encouraged them to be courageous. And here's what we learned from that passage. Three takeaways. That we are to remember that Jesus is with us in a crisis, no matter what it is. That we are to have greater faith in the power of Jesus than in the power of the crisis. And thirdly, that we are to wait patiently on Jesus as we go through a crisis. We understood last week that we are to walk with biblical courage, replacing fear with the confidence of God's presence with us. 
But this week, we want to look at the second gift that the Holy Spirit gives to us as we keep in step with the Spirit of God. And this is how Paul puts it. He says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power. Not only are we to walk with biblical courage in the midst of a crisis, but we are called to walk with divine power. Now, let me set the, 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 this thing straight. Let me make a very clear statement here. The only people who have access to divine power are those who have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. When you receive Jesus as your Lord, when you submit to him, when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit at that point takes up residency within you. And then at that point, you have supernatural power. You have power to be able to walk in a way that pleases God. Now, this power is never of yourself, and this power is not necessarily for yourself. It is always for the opportunity to glorify God and to benefit other people. Now, the word that Paul uses here for power is the Greek word called it's dunamis. Dunamis. That word is where we get two English words, dynamite and dynamic. The picture is this, the Holy Spirit is, is explosive in power, and he is also dynamic in all of his ways. It means he's spectacular in his effects, and he is energetic and outstanding in his personality. And so when you and I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to mimic those things within us. Now, one of the things that we need to understand is when we go through a crisis, the power of the Holy Spirit is within us. And we need to walk in a way that demonstrates this power in the midst of a crisis. Now, the Apostle Paul, in writing to a group of believers in Ephesus, helps them to understand how to apply the, the Spirit's power in our life when we go through difficult times. Two times in the book of Ephesians, he prays for these believers. And both times when he prays, he is praying specifically about the power of the Holy Spirit in them. The first time he prays is in chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He prays that they would know the Holy Spirit's power in them. But in, then in chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, he prays that they would know how to apply the power of the Holy Spirit when they are in difficult times, when they're in a crisis. Now, the things that Paul prays for them about are the things that you and I might not ask for when we're going through a crisis. But these are the precise things that we need when we're going through a crisis. And Paul begins by praying about their inner being. Not their external needs, but what they need internally. And because that's where the presence of the Holy Spirit resides, internally within us. And so the Apostle Paul begins in chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. He prays for them, and he gives this incredible prayer. And in the midst of this prayer, he gives them six things that they are to walk in as they face a crisis. Six things that he prays that the Holy Spirit would bring out in their lives as they're going through this crisis and encourages them with great power. In chapter 3, verse 14, he begins this way. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Will you join me as we pray together? Father, we thank you for these words. Thank you for this prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers. And Father, even for us today, 2,000 years later, it is relevant. And we ask, Father, that you would teach us through your word today. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is an amazing prayer. Because Paul doesn't begin praying for the external circumstances of the life of these believers. He goes right to the heart, to the inner being. That here's what they need in the midst of the crisis. They need the Holy Spirit's power within them. And in the midst of a crisis, there are six things that they need to remember as they walk through whatever crisis that they encounter. The same is true for you and me. And I want to give you these six things that Paul brings out that we need to have displayed in our lives as we walk through any crisis. Here's the first one. We are to walk in endowment. We're to walk understanding our endowment. Now that's a big word, understanding our riches and our blessings in Christ. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. The first thing Paul says is that you need to remember what you have in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, he says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenlies. And then in chapter 1, verse 7, he says that we receive forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. And then in this passage, he says, according to the riches of his glory. Child of God, you are richly blessed by God. We hear about Harvard University and having a $40 billion endowment fund. And we might think, wow, that's a lot. Well, compared to what the believer has in Christ, that is nothing. Because we have all the spiritual blessings of heaven. We have an unlimited supply of his grace that will never run out. And we have an unlimited supply of the resources that God has. Now, I want to notice something that Paul didn't say. He didn't say that, that we are blessed out of the riches of his grace or out of the, the riches of his glory. He says in accordance with the riches of his grace and glory. Now, it would be like this. If you meet a multimillionaire and you need some financial help and you go to that multimillionaire and you begin to explain your case to him and he gives you $100, he is just given out of his riches. 
But if you share with him and you convince him of your need and he writes a check for $100,000, he has given to you in accordance to his riches. God never gives to us in our need just out of his riches. He gives to us according to his riches. His grace is inexhaustible. His mercies are new every single morning. They are never stale. They are always fresh. His resources are limitless. Our government can give us a stimulus package to help us, but they've already run out of money. But in the midst of a crisis, God's resources are limitless. And we can go to Him in the midst of a crisis and just be able to call out to Him with the confidence that He can easily meet our needs. This is not a health and a wealth or prosperity doctrine. This is biblical truth. That God's graces never run out. His resources never run short. And He is more ready to give more often than we are to ask and receive. And so when you're going through a crisis, have the confidence in this. Let the Spirit of God remind you of who you are in Christ. Let the Spirit of God remind you of what God can do. And you may ask for something and think it's too much, but it is never much compared to the riches of God's grace and His resources that He has for us. You might be without a job now. You might be in a difficult situation you might be in a place where you just need grace upon grace. And God is always willing to give those things to us as we walk in obedience with Him. So as you're going through a crisis, rest in the confidence of the endowment that you have in Christ Jesus. But not only does He say this, that, that, that we are to walk in endowment, the second thing He says is this. We're to walk in empowerment. We are to walk in empowerment. He puts it this way, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That you and I, in the midst of a crisis, we need to be reminded of the power of God within us. And that means that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And because of that, there is supernatural power. Now, again, that power is not of ourselves and it's not for ourselves. It's always for the glory of God. Now, a lot of times I have people that will come to me and say, I just need more of the Holy Spirit. But let me remind you of this. When you come to Christ at conversion, you get all of the Holy Spirit all at once. He indwells you, not just a little bit of him, not half of him. But He personally indwells you. Some people treat the Holy Spirit like a battery. And they, they like, if the battery goes down, they need to be recharged. and They need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a storage battery with a shelf life. He is unlimited power. And when you and I have a relationship with Christ, we have direct access to the power of God. Now, many believers don't experience that power and they've never been able to walk in the power of the Spirit of God. And, and, and it's because many times we do things that disconnect the Spirit's power from our lives. Let me give you an illustration. We live in southeast North Carolina. Most of us around here have generators. We have generators because of the hurricanes and the tropical depressions and the storms that come. And sometimes we're without power, without electricity. So we have our generators 
couple of years ago, Florence is coming through, so I pulled my generator out, and I go through the whole process of getting it ready for the storm. I fill it, the tank, completely with gas. It is full of gas. Can't get any more gas in it. The oil's there. I got the switch turned on, and I'm cranking it and pulling and pulling and pulling, and nothing happens. The thing will not start. I am wearing a blister on my hand, pulling the cord so much. And then I realized something, that the fuel line from the gas tank to the carburetor was turned off. And I disrupted the flow of the fuel to the carburetor. But when I turned it on, that fuel began to flow from the tank into the carburetor. And after two pulls, the generator started and it ran as it was designed to run. Now, that's a beautiful picture of a lot of times of what happens in a believer. We, are, we have the Holy Spirit in us. But there's something that we have done to disconnect the flow, to disrupt the flow. Maybe it's sin in your life. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's disobedience. Maybe it's walking in fear instead of courage. Whatever it may be. We can disrupt the flow of the Holy Spirit in our life. And many Christians are wondering why they have no power. And they have the flow from the Holy Spirit's work into their life disrupted because of some area. And when we deal with those issues, then that switch can be turned on. And the Holy Spirit is free to flow through a life of a child of God who's walking in obedience and submission. And the Holy Spirit wants us to know when we go through a crisis, we have that power. But are we disrupting it? Is there something that this crisis is going to teach us about ourselves that we need to submit and surrender to God? That He can have His full effect in us. You see, we're to walk in endowment. We're to walk in empowerment. But the third thing is this. We are to walk in enthronement. We are to walk with the understanding of who's on the throne of my life. Paul puts it this way. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now this is kind of an odd way to write this. And many scholars had struggled over this. And many people don't quite understand what this means. Let me tell you what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that once the Holy Spirit indwells you, then Christ takes up residency within your life. That's not what he's saying. The opposite is actually true. Once you and I surrender our lives to Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residency. So if that's not what Paul is saying, what is he saying here? Well, he's not so much talking about Christ in your heart as salvation, as much as he's talking about Christ in your heart in sanctification, that Jesus has full reign and control of your heart. The key word here is the word dwell. The word dwell means to settle in a house with others, to settle down living in a house. That's literally what it means. And the picture is not just having someone live in your house and you tolerate them living there. The picture here is someone who is living with you, who is so comfortable and so settled that this person is so at home and is part of the family. Jesus never wants to just be in your heart and you tolerate him. Jesus wants to be settled and absolutely comfortable 
in our hearts because our hearts is a place of his dwelling. It is his home. It is our home. And here's the point that Paul is making. He's saying that you are to live your life in such a way that Jesus not only dwells in your heart, but he is so comfortable that he has full control of your life. He is the one on the throne in your life. Now, what, what does this have to do with going through a crisis? Well, it's very simple. When you and I go through a crisis, the first place that we struggle is in our heart. It's in our heart that we begin to ask the difficult questions. It's in our heart that the emotions rise. It's in our heart that we begin to, to make assumptions and speculations. It's in our heart where worry comes about. It's in our heart where we try to figure out how we're going to get through this on our own. And when we go through a difficult circumstance, the Holy Spirit wants us to know and ask the question, is Jesus in charge of this situation? Is he on the throne of your life? Or are you taking your cues from him? Is he directing you in this crisis? Is he speaking to you in this crisis? Is he giving you wisdom in this crisis? Are you fully submitted to his lordship and you're willing to do whatever he asks you to do in the midst of this crisis? Because that's what enthronement means. That he not only just lives in my heart, but he is so comfortable that he is in charge of my heart. And when we allow the Lord Jesus to call the shots in the midst of a crisis, then we can say that we are following him through faith, that I completely trust him. Every thought, every emotion is taken captive to the obedience of Christ through faith. You see, not only are we to walk with this endowment in our minds, knowing the riches and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as we allow him to have his way, but we are to allow the Lord Jesus to be the ruler and the sovereign of our lives. But here's the fourth thing. We're to walk in establishment. You see, one of the things Paul is praying is that all these believers would understand what gives them their nourishment and their stability. We're to walk as firmly established people in Christ and in his word. Here's how Paul says it. That you being rooted and grounded in love. He says rooted. That's a horticultural term that he uses here. The word rooted is a picture of an oak tree whose roots go deep into the ground. And the deeper the roots, the more nourishment for the tree and the more healthy the life. And then he paints the picture of using the word grounded. That's an architectural term. It speaks of a building. And in order for a building to go high, the foundation must go deep. That speaks of stability. So here's what Paul is praying for them. That the Holy Spirit would show them that their, their establishment is going to come from the nourishment of their intimacy with Christ and the foundation and the stability of the Word of God. And so as these two things are very significant in their lives, then they can be established. Here's the thing that happens many times when believers go through a crisis. It's at that point that they want to get established. 
It's at that point that they say, oh, well, maybe I need to be more intimate with Jesus. Maybe in the crisis, I need, and it may be that the crisis brings us to that. But before we ever get to a crisis, we are to be a place where our nourishment comes from that relationship with the Lord Jesus daily. And that, that foundation is firmly established in the truth of his word. And maybe you're going through a crisis and God is bringing you to those places. And he wants you to understand that no matter what happens, when your nourishment comes from a relationship with Christ and your stability comes from the truth of God's word, there is nothing, there is no crisis, there is no pandemic, there's nothing that can ever shake you or rock you from your faith and your trust in Christ. So Paul prays that they would walk in the power of this establishment so that they would be nourished and that they would be grounded in him. But here's a fifth one. I love this one. We're to walk in enlightenment. Paul prays that that their eyes, their minds would comprehend and understand. This is how he says it. He says that may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, the Apostle Paul wants them to to be able to walk in two things. First of all, he says that they would be able to comprehend. That word in the Greek is an interesting word. It gives us the picture of a monkey that wraps his tail around a branch and firmly gets his tail around it. And it means to have a strong grip. Now, for us, it means that there is to be a strong mental grip of truth. That's where we get the phrase, wrap your head around it. If I can just wrap my head around this truth. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to supernaturally comprehend truth. That our minds can be wrapped around something. And then he uses the word know, that you might know. The word know there is not the word that's used for an academic knowledge. It's used for an experiential knowledge. The word is epigonosco, which means to know experientially. It is something that I will experience in my life. Now, what is it that we are to comprehend? What is it that we are to know experientially? The love of Christ. We're to know how deep His love is for us. And when we're going through a crisis, the Holy Spirit wants to bring to our forefront of our mind with power to comprehend, to wrap our minds around, and to experience the very love of Christ that no matter what we go through, that He loves us. Even in our failures and our shortcomings, He loves us. And when we understand fully the depth of his love for us, then we never question whether he's there or whether he cares about us in the midst of any crises that we're going through. In fact, he knows the end of the crisis. And he knows the outcome for which he is wanting to shape and mold in our hearts in the midst of this. Now, Paul paints a beautiful picture of this when he says the words there that the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. He's not talking about different kinds of love. He's talking about the direction of God's love. 
And that in every single direction that we turn and we face, that we would wrap our minds around the truth that Jesus loves me. That I would know experientially in my heart and my life that He loves me. Beautiful illustration of this is when Napoleon was conquering the world known, the the, the known world. And as Napoleon was going about, he came to the prisons where the Spanish Inquisition was taking place. And as he began to open up those prison cells of the Inquisition, he began to to, to discover some interesting things. One of the things his soldiers discovered was in one cell was a skeleton, the remains of some poor human being. The flesh and the clothes had long fallen off. But as that skeleton was on the floor, still attached to its ankle was a chain. And that poor soul starved to death in that prison cell. But above that skeleton, that person, before he died, took a sharp piece of metal and etched into that stone wall a cross. And on the top of it, he wrote the word height. On the bottom of it, he wrote the word depth. On one arm, he wrote length. On the other arm, he wrote breath. Because he understood that even in the midst of that prison cell, He wrapped his head around the truth of the depths of God's love for him. And the greatest summation of that was the cross. Listen, believer, it doesn't matter what you and I are going through. We can go through it with the absolute assurance that Jesus loves us. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does as we go through a crisis is to empower our minds to comprehend and to know the depths of his love for us. Here's the last thing that Paul prays. And he teaches us that we are to walk in enrichment. We're to walk in enrichment. This is a most fascinating phrase. It's incredible. It's indescribable. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And we might even ask the question, how can that even be? How can a person possibly be filled with all of the fullness of God? You and I will never be able to comprehend this truth, this side of heaven. While the Holy Spirit wants us to know certain things, our minds cannot wrap itself around this deep, incredibly deep truth that we could be filled with all the fullness of God. What is the best way to even explain that? Well, being on, in, in, at Southeast North Carolina, we have our beaches. We have Topsail Beach, we have Wrightsville Beach, we have uh, Carolina Beach. And if you ever go to the beach, and most of you do, then you've picked up seashells along the way. And if you pick up a seashell, and you place it on the sand just to the edge of the water's edge, and you watch that shell, in a few moments the waves will just come in and completely engulf that shell. That is a beautiful picture of the fullness of the ocean in that shell. Now that doesn't mean that all of the ocean is in that shell because that's impossible. But what the ocean represents, all of its elements are in that shell. It doesn't matter if that shell is two feet from the edge or if it's two miles or 200 miles or 2,000 miles. 
The essence of the ocean is completely engulfing that shell. So the fullness of the ocean is in that shell. When Paul is talking about the fullness of God in us, he's not talking about all of God. He's talking about the character, the nature, the essence of God's character in us. That never makes us God. We will never ever be God. But as we go through a crisis or a difficulty or struggles or persecution, what Paul is saying is this, that the Holy Spirit may press upon your heart that the fullness of God is in you in the midst of a crisis. God's character walks with you. God's nature walks with you. That's why Peter later writes that we can participate in the divine nature. Not that we ever become God, but we are with God. And He is with us. And then Paul concludes with the great doxology. And this doxology in verses 20 and 21 is just amazing. He writes, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you look at this doxology, you will see that there is a pyramid of progression. And it's an incredible pyramid. Notice how Paul puts it. He says that he is able. But he's not just able. He is able to do. But he's not just able to do. He's able to do far more. Exceedingly, some passages read. But he's more than that. He is able to do far more abundantly. But it's more than that. He is able to do far more abundantly than all. Than all what? He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power that is at work in you. You see, as we go through a crisis, the Holy Spirit wants us to walk in His power. And as we go through a crisis, He wants us to understand that we can walk in endowment. We can walk in empowerment. We can walk with the understanding that Jesus is enthroned on my heart. We can walk understanding that we are established, nurtured in the intimacy of Christ and stable in the truth of His Word. That we can walk in the enlightenment and comprehend His incredible love for us, and then we can walk in the enrichment that His very character walks with us. What happens when believers walk in the power of the Spirit? Years ago, when my little girl, Leslie, she's no longer a little girl, Every night, it was my responsibility to tuck Leslie in. I say it was a responsibility, it was my joy. And I did that each night with both of the kids. I'd tuck them in, we'd talk, and we'd pray together. But as I was tucking Leslie in one night, 
She asked me three very, very significant questions, and I'll never forget these questions. First thing she asked me was this. She said, Daddy, when a person belongs to Jesus, does it mean that God lives in them? And I said, yeah, that's true. When a person surrenders their life to Jesus, God takes up residency. He lives with them. Then she asked this, well, if God is bigger than the universe and he lives in people, shouldn't he shine through? I thought, wow, from the mouths of babes. And I said, yes, honey, that's right. If Jesus lives in you, he should shine through you. Then she asked this last question. If God should shine through his people, then why do so many of his people have dark faces? Why do they look sad? Why don't we see the love, the power of God shining through them? God has given us his spirit so that he can make us like Jesus. And the more that we keep in step with the Spirit of God, the more we allow the Spirit of God to fill us, the more that we allow His power to work in us, then we look more like Jesus. And He shines through. Believer, our world is in a crisis. And if there's one thing they need to see, is they need to see Jesus shining through us. Because we have endowment. We have empowerment. He is on the throne of our hearts. He is the one who establishes us firmly. Our minds are enlightened with the incomprehensible truth of His love. We walk in enrichment in all the fullness of God. I don't know what you're going through, but would you let the Holy Spirit develop these things in you that the world would see that God is able to do far more abundantly than anything we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. Walk in His power. And in order to walk in His power, we see what He does for us, but we also see what we must be willing to do. Surrender. Submit. Walk in obedience in all that we have. If you're not a believer and you're listening to this, you don't know Christ, I want you to know that the Lord Jesus wants you to know that He knows you. And He died for you. And his greatest desire is that you would surrender your life to him so that he would give you exceedingly, abundantly, far beyond anything you could ever ask or hope or think. It begins with the forgiveness of your sins. That carries you into a relationship with the Father. And it leads to the sealing of the Holy Spirit in you where there is dynamic, dynamite power. 
I want to encourage you today, believer, to walk in that power. I want to encourage you today, non-believer, to surrender to him that you might know him in all of his power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that no matter what crisis we go through, that you're with us and that we can walk in your divine power for your glory and for man's good. In Jesus' name, amen.